everyone, and welcome back to The Right Turn, your one-stop shop for all things fiction writing. I'm your host, author Jordan M. Griffin, and today we're going to talk about age-old writing advice that I want to break down and freshen up a little. But first, I highly encourage you to check out last week's episode, which was an interview with the amazing Vicki Lawn. Vicki is a fellow speculative fiction author and the host of Speculative Sandbox. She was kind enough to have me on her podcast a few weeks ago, where we talked about designer genetics, CRISPR, and where the science is compared to the science fiction. On my podcast, we talked about the publishing industry and some of the ups and downs of the querying process, as well as some advice for going from idea to book, if that's something you might be interested in. I hope you check out both of those episodes, and another thank you to Vicki. For this week, I thought we would talk about write what you know. Many of you have probably heard this phrase. A lot of times it's used as sort of a punitive idea, as in stick to what you're good at. Many writers become pigeonholed by that, thinking that if they lived their whole lives as a banker or a teacher, then they could only write stories about being a banker or a teacher. But that could not be farther from the truth. Write what you know, despite the way it may be thrown around by grumpy critics and time-crunched professors, does not mean you are only allowed to put pencil to paper if it involves one of your lived experiences. But rather, it's more along the lines of you as a human being have lived through a wide range of experiences and should draw upon those experiences when applicable to help breathe life into your prose. People live every single day of their lives. It may sound like a silly statement, but I think authors often forget that they are not only confined to the way they earn their living or their hobbies. Sure, those might be places where you feel really comfortable with the ins and outs of technical knowledge, and it might make you feel like an authority on a topic that others aren't, which is always a confidence boost when you're conceptualizing a novel. But if you limit yourself to only what you do when you're getting paid or what you do alone when you want some me time, then you're negating easily more than half of your actual lived experience. You do not have to be confined to what you did in the exact same context that you did it. For example, if you went ziplining through the jungle one time in Costa Rica for your 18th birthday, then you may not know what it takes to be a zipline operator who caters to tourists all day. But you do know what it's like to soar over the trees with the wind in your hair and your heart pounding, caught between fear and fun and something else entirely. You can easily translate that sensation into a character flying or a character falling from a really great height. Your experience ziplining does not have to be confined to ziplining. And there are so many more experiences that fall into that same category. What other context can you relate the events that you've been through so that you can pull them into your writing and make your prose kind of pop off the page? Another pitfall that seems to come up when new authors hear write what you know is misinterpreting that statement into write something you know that no one else does. They're looking for rarity and uniqueness instead of simply aiming for good writing that feels real. Perhaps this comes from the rise of memoirs in the last decade, and memoirs are often sold on the premise that the book is worth reading because the authors have lived through something no one else has. Pop stars and celebrities make memoir deals all the time based on just their celebrity status. Their lives seem so unattainable that the only way someone could understand it is by reading about it. 
or people who have lived through genuinely terrible experiences and are trying to help others avoid the situations that they've been through, or they're simply working through the trauma of their experiences will be marketed in that same way, that they have lived through something no one else has lived through. Victims of crimes, drug addicts, and trauma survivors come to mind when I think about those types of memoirs. Not only do memoirs not need that to be genuinely good books, fiction doesn't really have a use for that at all. Fiction books are not marketed based on how differently the author has lived from the reader. So you as a writer don't need to worry about trying to dig every scrap of unique experience you've ever had from the depths of your memory banks. Instead, writing what you know can include such things as how it feels to accomplish a goal you worked really hard for, how it feels to lie to a friend, how to cook a dish that means a lot to you, caring for somebody who needs you, which can be a child, a pet, an aging parent, or some other form of dependent care. All of those things and so much more count as lived experiences. They are events that you have been through that you can draw on when drafting your work. Remembering how you felt in those moments, such as the full body burn of embarrassment when you get caught in a lie, or the breathless joy of your name being called for an award that you sacrificed for, will give you a ton of ammunition to use when your characters go through the same thing in your stories. Remember that good fiction is about getting readers to experience the story. What better way to do that than to write down exactly how you felt and acted during a similar situation? There are aspects of fiction that no one, no matter what their background is, knows what it's like to live through. Magic is a really good example, and it is entirely the authors to conceive. That's why we have so many different magic systems that exist in the media that we consume, right? Harry Potter magic is completely different from Lord of the Rings magic, and Lord of the Rings magic is completely different than Avatar The Last Airbender magic. No one can appear at any of these media and say, actually, that's not really how it works because magic isn't real. You, as the creator, get to decide how your magic works and what magic looks like in your realm. And this goes the same for many, many, many genre elements. If you have a, a made-up species, right, you get to decide who they are and what they're like. If you have a, a whole society that doesn't really exist, same thing goes. This is why I think fantasy has more forgiving readers than science fiction. Uh, science fiction is more closely grounded in what could be possible, and there is a small subset of science fiction fans who want everything to be only grounded in reality. They'll be the first ones to show up and tell authors why the time travel that they came up with is fundamentally flawed, or why the solar sails used to pull a ship would actually have to be miles bigger than they are described. If you write science fiction and are not a scientist, then don't worry. Remember that no one has actually personally flown solar sails before, and no one knows what it's like to travel outside of our solar system. These are all just theories. The nuts and bolts of the science are for scientists. Most of us are here for a really good story, and if your work has that, then you're doing it right. Some of this came up in the conversation I had with Vicky Lawn, who is a fellow speculative fiction author. She's working on a science fiction book right now that has space travel and a road trip and a whole bunch of really cool genre aspects. Vicky is not a scientist. She doesn't make rockets for a living and she doesn't sit in labs all day. She doesn't need to because the heart of her story, what really matters to the reader, 
is the troubled relationship between a girl and her mother. It's a great example of how even the most far out there fiction has a heart that strikes right at home, and you can pull from your own experience to find that heart. Now, you can actually use genre aspects of your story as metaphors for your real life lived events. This is what I think movies do really, really well. We may not have fought knockdown, drag out fights with our enemies that leave us bruised and exhausting, but we may have had days or moments where it feels like we have. If you've had the unfortunate experience of getting into a fight with a loved one, and most people have, then you know it can feel like the world is ending. It can feel like your loved one has summoned their own army and you have to punch and kick your way through rows of it just to be heard. I think this is closer to what it means when writing instructors say to write what you know. Use the things that you have been through as fuel for when your characters might need to go through something that is metaphorically the same. You can ask yourself what it felt like happened rather than what really happened and go from there. Now, this is not to discount anyone who has really cool technical knowledge and wants to use it. Write what you know does include any kind of training or anything you've learned along the way. I, for example, used my experience in a research lab when I drafted my first novel. Now, the novel doesn't actually take place in a lab, but there are genetically modified experiments, and the hypersterile, devoid of emotion surroundings the assets live in remind me of the labs that I worked in. The clinical, dispassioned way the scientists talk about their experience mirrors the way I used to talk about mine. Granted, I was working with see-through microscopic worms and not with human beings, but the idea remains. Do you have any knowledge that you are intimately familiar with? Can you take the reader through the frenzied chaos of a kitchen and all the unlikely characters that find themselves behind the cook line? Or do you birdwatch as a hobby and know the value of long stretches of stillness in gathering the trust of wildlife? You are absolutely welcome to use these bits in your narrative, especially if you manage to weave it through the story. Not dump it in big spots here and there, but drop it in these little moments, these half sentences and dialogue tags that help the reader pick up on little things and make them feel as if they're really there. Now, I do want to drop in a note of caution when drawing on hyper-technical or niche knowledge. If you are writing commercial fiction, meaning fiction meant for a generalized audience, then you'll probably want to avoid treating the audience like they know every single thing that you do. I could have put jargon in my story about double isolate crosses and acetylated DNA sequences, but if I did that and I didn't explain what I meant, then I would be risking alienating a whole bunch of people who never worked in a genetic research lab and frankly don't want to. Likewise, my chemical engineer father can spit a bunch of words at me that make zero sense in my brain, and I have to decide whether to nod my head and hope the story is going somewhere I understand, or derail him and ask for more information. Your audience is the same. Now, you know, you don't want to be wrong or play dumb, but your readers will always be looking for the purpose of your story. What is going on at the character level that is making them want to read? It's not the super technical knowledge that is going to hook them. Is your main character growing up and becoming more confident, thus giving them a coming-of-age story? Are they a train wreck of a human being and we're watching them sort themselves out? The niche knowledge of knitting or flying a plane or running a government bureaucracy might give your story really good, realistic details, and you should use them. But they will never be what keeps a reader turning pages in a fiction story. If you want to write a book like that, then there are a bunch of nonfiction markets just waiting for your expertise. 
if after listening to all that, you still feel like you don't have enough lived experience to write the book that you want to write, then never fear. The cool thing about knowledge is that you can always go and find more. It is not bad writing to look up helpful videos on YouTube or enroll in a college course or travel to a place where you want your novel to take place. Funds and time are, of course, limiting factors, but working within the constraints that you have, there is still so much you can find out. Even just going to a coffee shop and watching the people there can help give you so many new gestures and ticks you can give your characters to help them feel more real. Fun fact, if you type into a search engine the words what Hollywood gets wrong about blank and then insert into the blank whatever it is you want to learn about, you will find a whole bunch of information, usually from people who have intimate knowledge of what they're talking about, ready to explain what Hollywood gets wrong. This will also help you to avoid the many mistakes that exist in media. Um, some very unrealistic, historic and otherwise, tropes exist because they have been perpetuated from movie to book and back again until most people believe things that are just frankly untrue. In reality, those little shortcuts are actually safety measures or they are just a mishandling of history uh, or they are kind of coding that is done by the authors or movie makers. Don't get me wrong, some works of fiction do a fantastic job, but others simply follow in the footsteps of what came before them, meaning they perpetuate mistakes that they might not realize they're making. This is a really clear sign that somebody who is making work has not actually been through the things that they are putting their characters through. One example that comes to mind with this is historical faction, fashion. Corsets. For example, we're not actually uncomfortable to wear, despite all of the media that you have seen telling you otherwise. Corsets did not restrict women, uh, they didn't force women to stay home all day, and they certainly didn't stop women from working on farms, climbing trees, or even ice skating. When a corset is made properly, it fits the body and provides more support than wearing nothing. In fact, large-chested women wouldn't have back problems or risk pain when doing physical activity because corsets distributed weight evenly across the body and kept everything in place. Similarly, corsets would never be worn on bare skin. That's like wearing jeans with no underwear. Hello, chafing. There are no historical records of women doing such a thing, and since it's pretty painful, it's likely that they never did. This goes back to, if you had to wear a corset all day, how would you want it to fit? you probably would not pull it as tight as it could go because that's uncomfortable. And you probably wouldn't wear it on your bare skin because again, uncomfortable. So ask yourself, you know, if you had to be in that situation, what would you do? Another trope I see all the time uh, is people in any kind of uh, like action dramas or sometimes medical dramas, which is just, it's crazy to me, uh, getting injections into the neck. Just know there are too many sensitive bits in the neck to justify a needle anywhere near your jugular vein or carotid artery or your larynx or all of the, the spine is in the neck too. An arm or a hand are really common places to put an IV. Uh, EpiPens are injected into the outer thigh and intramuscular injections can go into the meat of the arm or the butt. There is no reason to stick a needle anywhere near someone's neck. Now, I know this may seem humorous, but all I'm trying to get at with this idea is not all research is created equal. You can tell when someone has either done their research or actually been there because it makes sense. If you were to get an injection, would you want it to be near your neck? If, Like I said, if you had to live every day in a world with corsets, would you lace it as tight as it could possibly go and then pass out? 
Probably not. Your characters wouldn't either. The easiest place to add a dash of realism with your characters is in their physical movement. When I'm writing my first draft, my characters act a lot like bobbleheads. They smile and nod all over the place. It's usually just a placeholder, something I need to put in there where I sense a break in the talking, but I don't quite know what they're going to do yet. When I go back through and I change from my first draft to my second draft, I add motions and actions that become unique to each character. Some characters are quite handsy and they gesture with these big motions and they touch their face, hair, or hands constantly. Other characters, usually the quiet and unsure ones, would never dare take up so much space. They cross their arms or they tuck their hands into their sleeves or they make some other kind of inside motion. If you don't have enough human gestures to draw upon when you're drafting those actions, then your pros, like my bobbleheads, might feel and sound repetitive. An easy fix is to go somewhere that you can sit for an extended period of time and watch a whole bunch of different people, such as a park or coffee shop, and then make notes of the gestures and fidgets that you like. You'll find that each person has movements unique to them, and you can incorporate those into your characters. Some people prefer straws when they drink. My mother falls into this category mostly because she doesn't want to steer her, smear her lipstick before the day has even started. Some people blow on their beverage before drinking it or take the top off so it cools faster. This is me because I have a very low tolerance for hot liquids in my mouth. I'll let my tea sit for almost five minutes after it finished steeping before I actually drink it because there is nothing that I detest more than a burned tongue. Little habits like these will not only help differentiate your characters, but it will also give your story a grounded, real feeling to it. And this absolutely falls under the category of write what you know, because you know humans, you've watched them. Anger is another place to look for unique gestures. How do the people you know express anger without actually using words to do it? How do you do it? When I have a strong emotion, happy or otherwise, I tend to move. I pace, I throw my hands around, I have even done chores because I was so angry that I had to do something. One time a friend was telling me a story that I was so frustrated with the other person in the story that I took out the recycling in the middle of their story because I had to do something. My husband has a really adorable habit of rubbing his nose when he gets angry. I don't know if it itches when he gets mad or he just needs something to do with his hands, but I can usually tell when he's getting really frustrated because he'll start making circles on the tip of his nose with his palm. My mother's anger is all in her eyebrows, and for my dad, it's in his jaw and shoulders. He also gets this tiny little head shake that almost says, you have one chance to take that back. You can use these gestures and others for your characters, or you can study your friends and families for even more ideas, because I guarantee you everyone in your life will have these little idiosyncrasies that make them feel so much more human. As you can see, writing what you know means a lot more than just writers may only write a story if it involves knowledge or lived experiences that they personally have. It does involve knowledge, yes, and we've been through that, but more so, it's this saying is a shorthand way to remind writers that they have so many experiences that they don't even realize they can use to make their writing come alive. The devil's in the details, as always, and the more unique and specific details you can add, the more your reader will trust that they are in good hands with you. 
Okay, thank you all for listening, and I hope this talk was helpful to you. Please feel free to go back, pause, or replay any part you want to hear again. If you really liked the episode, leave a review or share it with someone else you think would benefit from this talk. Bonus points if they also have one of the gestures that I described. If you're interested in telling us a story about your own writing experience, sharing your work with us, or you just want to say hi, you can send an email to writeturn at gmail.com. That's W-R-I-T-3. T-U-R-N at gmail.com. If you'd like to engage with the community in other ways, you're welcome to subscribe to the newsletter at jordanmgriffin.com, which will tell you when new episodes come out. In addition, I have an Instagram, which will also let you know when I upload videos. Link will be in the episode description. As always, I wish you all the best in your own writing. Have a great day, and if it's not a good one, I hope that the next one is better. See you next time. (laughs) 